Our sermon this morning comes from Judges 16. It's a familiar story for many of you, but still quite new for others. I think you'll see that the story of Samson is not merely a story about hair. It's a story about lust and betrayal, compromise and defeat. Samson and Delilah, yes, but most importantly, Yahweh and Dagon. It's a story about deliverance and salvation, the true God working through a broken man to begin the work of deliverance. I pray this morning we learn something of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way he brings salvation and the life he calls us to live. The title of our sermon this morning is Samson, Slayer of Dagon. Let's set the scene, shall we, with the first few verses, and then we'll just tell the story. I think you preach narrative sermons best by doing justice to their narrative shape. Chapter 16 just dives headfirst into sin. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they, kept, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up bar and all and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Well, that is one way to start the narrative. Samson goes into Gaza, into the heart of Philistine territory, shacks up with a prostitute, presumably, and evades his would-be captors with an incredible display of strength. My guy carries the city gates up the hill. Some things never change. Samson still exhibits superhuman strength. But Samson is still impulsive. Chapter 16 just moves from one woman to the next. Cut to chapter 4 and let's, or verse 4 and let's tell this story. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson loved This is a different situation. We hear nothing of love in Samson's previous exploits. Even when he finds his wife, what does he say? She looks right to me. The other women in the text is an, a woman in the text is an unnamed prostitute. But here, Samson loves a woman. And the writer of Judges gives this woman a name. Delilah. A word that sounds similar to the Hebrew word for night, a word that has begun to recur late in the story as darkness is now closing in 
around Samson. The text says that the lords of the Philistines came to her to set a trap. Let us find out where his strength lies. We will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you can just find this out for us. These people who come to Delilah are not just ordinary Joes. These are the most powerful men among the Philistines. They made her a godfather offer, an offer she cannot refuse, an offer that would change her life. And she accepts. Verse 6 Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Hypothetically speaking, of course. In verses 7 through 14, Samson gives her a few different answers. So she tries to bind him with those things that he says will take his strength. And every time he is able to break free. You'd think Samson would realize something ain't right here. But if this is not a parable for an unhealthy relationship, I'm not sure what is. He's using her for pleasure, and she's using him for financial gain. Two people who use one another cannot have a healthy relationship. But that's a whole different sermon. Finally, she begs him to tell her the source of his strength. Look with me in verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you? Oh, man, this is good. This is rich. How can you say I love you when your heart's not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson finally tells her what he believes to be the truth. He tells her his whole heart. It is interesting, though, when you read Samson's whole story, and not just this part of it, to note that Samson has not taken his vow all that seriously. If you take the average person who grew up in church or has some familiarity with the stories of the Old Testament, you say Samson in a game of word association, the next word they're saying is Delilah. What is the story of Samson and Delilah about? It's about a man who falls in love with a woman who does what he shouldn't do. He tells her his secret. She betrays his secret. He cuts his hair. He's now weak. Hair grows back. Man gets strong. But when you read this story in context, you know that Samson has not taken the other components of his Nazarite vow this seriously. I mean, remember in chapter 15, the chapter begins with him saying, this woman is right in my own eyes, let me have her. He's walking, he sees a dead animal, not supposed to touch dead animals, but there's honey in it, want honey, get honey from dead animal, break Nazarite vow. We know that at this wedding feast, he has a big party with alcohol and he's not supposed to even touch alcohol or any fruit of the vine. So from the very beginning of Samson's narrative, he's breaking the code, which is in his mind, the thing that gives him his strength. Understanding his character profile like we do after these couple of weeks, and I'm not so sure, he actually believes what he's telling her. And if he does believe what he's telling her, I think he's deceiving himself. Let me explain. 
Sin makes us stupid. I'll say that occasionally, but, but I'm not sure even Samson is this stupid. I mean, every other thing he's told her has just randomly that night been used against him. Surely he thinks there's a chance that if he tells her that his secret is his hair, the Philistines are going to be coincidentally ambushing him with scissors. Verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Listen closely to what Samson says. I will go out, maybe the most important little phrase of the sermon, as at other times and shake myself free. Oh, he... He doesn't actually think the Philistines can overtake him. Samson has learned to trust in himself. He doesn't understand the ways in which he is utterly dependent on God. For Samson, his strength is his birthright. He's strong because that's just who he is. And when he gets in trouble, he gets out of it because that's just what he does. Every time things look bad, eh, I'll be all right. I get out of it because, oh, I always do. Essentially, Samson says, I'll stop them before they, before they cut my hair. And even if they cut my hair, I'll be fine. I've touched dead animals and went on killing rampages. I've had uh, all the wine my heart desires and my life hasn't changed. I mean, I ripped the city gates out of the ground drug him up a hill by myself. I've killed men with a donkey's jawbone. I mean, I'll be fine. I always get out of this. You see, friends, the Philistines think there's something magical at work in Samson's strength. They fall for his lies, especially those first few lies, because they, they believe this is how supernatural power is imparted to him. They believe, this is an important point, they believe in gods that you can manipulate. If Samson does, in fact, believe cutting his hair would cause him to lose his strength, then he has adopted Philistine theology. He has adopted the same sort of superstitious, mechanistic, magical way of thinking about the interaction of the divine and the human. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do. As long as I just don't make the gods mad. As long as I just follow these simple steps. As long as this formula is unchanged. As long as I do these things, then God is bound to do X to me. If I do X, God must do Y. What a low view of God. No, Samson, your strength comes from God. Full stop. The end of verse 20 is chilling. He did not know that the Lord had left him. 
This is less about a haircut and more about total apostasy. We might ask some questions of the text, questions that we can't fully answer right now or even if we had more time. Why does God leave him now? After all he's done, does this tip the scales? We could speculate here, maybe make a couple points, but I don't think we need to. Here's what matters. The Lord, who has all authority and power, has left him. And Samson has no idea. You know, sometimes I think it's easy to forget that our spiritual strength comes from the Lord God himself. Like Samson, we can be uh, overconfident in ourselves. Like Samson, we can view God as sort of a divine vending machine. I want a better job. Let me go up to F6 to get better job out of the vending machine. <laughs> I had a great experience with a vending machine yesterday at uh, Easton in Columbus. I walked up to it and it said, out of stock, please select other option. So I just looked at it. So I just put in my drink and it gave it to me. So I would like to thank whoever is in Columbus that paid for that drink, right? But they approach God that way. Like, go up, okay, this is what I want. This, this, God gives me that. We're good to go. I read my Bible. I go to church. I volunteer at church. I do these things. God is then bound to do something for me. Sometimes it's easy to think that we can manipulate God with our own actions and it's sort of like convince him or back him into a corner where he'll do for us what we want. If we do all the right things, push all the right buttons, we can experience the presence of God. Perhaps there's much here we could say about the nature of false religion, but we must keep reading. Verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, verse 22, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Samson, the shorn leader of Israel, is a shell of himself. His eyes have been gouged out, he is bound in shackles, and he's working in a prison camp. This is the lowest point of any judge in the book of Judges. But the hairs of his head began to grow again. Here, friends, is the theological miscalculation of the Philistines. The God of Israel's power is not like their God. The God of Israel's power the God of Samson's strength is not bound by Samson's hair. Keller makes a fantastic point here. Samson's hair growing back is not meant to make us think this. Ah, oh, now he's got his hair. He'll be strong again because his strength is in his hair and his hair's back, and so now he's strong. But when we hear those words that his hair begins to grow, we should rightly think this. 
Ah, the Philistines think his strength is gone because his vow's been broken. But they don't understand that God's work and God's power are not constrained by or contingent upon his servant's obedience. All the Philistines know are gods who are subject to them, who are at the whims of magic and spells, gods who can be manipulated for their own ends. If the gods are pleased with you, then you're good. If the gods tell you you can't cut your hair and then you cut your hair, then you have fallen out of favor with their gods and it's over. The spell is off. The potion has the wrong ingredients. The gods are displeased. The God of Israel, however, is a God of grace. The God of Israel is a God of grace. He's faithful to us when we are faithless to him. And the plan God had for Samson before he was born still stands, even as he's a shackled, humiliated, and enslaved shell of a once strong man. In fact, it is through this weakness that Samson will fulfill the word spoken over his life. The most important moment in this story, the most important moment in Samson's life, the moment that will begin the deliverance, that the kings will continue, begins not when Samson rips up city gates, begins not when Samson goes and kills a thousand Philistines, but begins when Samson dies. The most important moment of Samson's life is his death. Because in his death, the God of Samson, a broken, beat up, and hopeless sinner, will triumph over the God of the Philistines. Look with me in verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. We get a little snapshot of a worship service to the Philistine god, Dagon. Knowing that Samson is between the pillars, we know that he is in Dagon's temple. The Philistine hearts are merry for their god is one. He's triumphed over Samson. He's defeated the troubler of the people, the menace to Philistine society has finally been caught. Oh, the man who marries Philistine women and kills Philistine men has fallen into the hands of Dagon the Great. Hear their cries, our God has delivered him. To where do they give credit? 
to their God. Our God has done this. Our God has given us Samson. Our God has revealed the answers. Our God is strong and mighty and great. Bring out this Samson. Let us see him. Let's glory in his shame together. For almighty Dagon has won. Let us exult in his triumph over the God of Israel. Verse 26. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Adonai Elohim, O great and mighty God, O Lord God, Please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he'd killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. And just like that, Samson the Nazarite from birth, set apart for the purposes of God, would finally begin to deliver the people by striking a deep blow in the temple of Dagon. For only the second time in the narrative, the longest narrative of any of the judges, Samson prays. Now his prayer is not perfect. It doesn't reflect complete humility. But none of these people are perfect. It seems that he's interested in vengeance for his eyes. Oh, Lord, let me get my revenge because these sons of guns gouged my eyes out. I just think it's worth noting, too, that the narrative begins with Samson doing what is right in his own eyes, and it ends with him being blind. And so Samson wants to bring revenge on the people who have done this to him. And so he prays an imperfect prayer. But brothers and sisters, I have good news. God answers imperfect prayers. You must not get everything in order and then offer up your prayer as if it's some masterpiece to God. No, sometimes our best prayers are the prayers we can't articulate. Sometimes our best prayers, our most faithful prayers, are the ones where we say, Lord, I don't know, but here. There are three things in this prayer that Samson would not have done it at any other point in his story. First, he does not presume upon the presence of God. He doesn't take him for granted. Please look upon me, O Lord. I thought the Advent reading was uniquely helpful for this one. 
What's the message of John the Baptist to the Pharisees and Sadducees? Don't presume that, oh, we have Abraham as our father, therefore it doesn't matter how we live. We have Abraham as our father, therefore we're fine. No, you brood of vipers, he said. God can raise up from these stones, children of Abraham. Don't presume on the presence of God. Sometimes good theology can become a barrier in our hearts and in our lives. Please look upon me again, O Lord. Samson does not take for granted that God is with him. Second, please give me your strength again, Lord. In his brokenness, Samson learns that his strength was never his own. All the feats of superhuman strength were accomplished only because God was with him. His power was not his power. Please give me your strength again, O Lord. And finally, Samson is willing to die. No one at all. He's not gonna try to get out of this situation. Let me die with the Philistines. Look upon me again, O Lord. I don't take your presence for granted anymore. Just trusting that you're going to be there. Give me your power. I don't just assume that you're going to deliver me. That I'm just going to get this myself because I'm great and powerful and mighty and strong. But Lord, I need you. I need you to see me. I need to know you're with me. And I need your strength. And I need your strength to work through me and deliver me, even if that means I die. But the Philistines... And right here, in the middle of a worship service to Dagon, the living God shows up through Samson, the Dagon slayer. The work of deliverance would begin with a death. And that work of deliverance would one day be completed with a far greater death. We said many times that Samson is Israel embodied. He represents their total corruption. He represents their total apostasy. He represents a people who have forgotten the presence of the Lord their God. He represents a people who have presumed on their own strength and power. This is who Samson is. And in the story of Samson, two gods are brought into conflict. This is the heart of the problem. The people of God are worshiping false gods and God is showing us through the life and ministry and failures of Samson that the true God always wins. The true God is better than false gods. That the idolatry in Israel's heart will die. We build up to this great moment of the judge who's above all the other judges in the book. The one who most embodies who Israel is. And he wins by dying in the temple of false gods. The work of deliverance. The angel told Manoah and his wife Samson would begin. Not finish, but begin. Is starting. When the blow is struck in the heart of Dagon. Friends, 
the book of Judges. Worship team, I'm just about done, so Nate, if you want to come up. The book of Judges preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a story about an unholy haircut. This is a story about grace. This is a story about Jesus. Oh, the parallels are striking. Jesus, like Samson, would be handed over to a Gentile oppressor. Samson into the hands of the Philistines, Jesus into the hands of Pontius Pilate and the Romans. Jesus, like Samson, would be betrayed by someone he loved, by a close confidant. Jesus, like Samson, would be tortured and shackled. Jesus, like Samson, would be mocked and scorned. Jesus, like Samson, would die with his arms outstretched. Jesus, like Samson, appears to be defeated. But in their dying, both Samson's and the Lord's, the will of God would go forth. For all its similarities, there are some important differences. And just as those similarities point us to the gospel, so too do the differences. For Samson, this is a tragic ending. Oh, what could have been. In many ways, the story of Samson is the story of a wasted life. The story of missed opportunity of knowing the will of God, but missing completely the heart of God. How did Samson respond when the Lord left him? He didn't know. He had no idea. Because he did not know God. For Samson, this is a tragic ending to a tragic story. It's not until here at the very end, we begin to see something that resembles faith. And now, now that Samson has finally been humbled, finally been broken, he's dead. And, and here is the crucial difference between Samson and Jesus. Because unlike Samson, Jesus would rise from the dead. His story and his death was only just beginning. See, Samson was beginning a work and Jesus was finishing a work. What is that cry on the cross? It is finished. The work that God had begun so long ago would finally come to pass in the person and work of Jesus the Christ. Oh, the death of Jesus was only a new beginning. The garden tomb was another garden of Eden where hope would dawn, where light would come, and where the world would begin again. 
all authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth is mine. So what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you. The Lord God had left Samson. Here Jesus in the Great Commission, the part that we don't talk about, but the most important part of it, frankly. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. The one who gave Samson his power and his dying breath, the one who empowered Samson, even when Samson didn't know it, has pledged himself to us. Brothers and sisters, we come to the Old Testament not simply for a moral lesson, though we find several. Does Samson make poor choices? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I think that's pretty true. Samson makes poor choices. Should Samson have told his secret if he wanted to stay alive? No. No, he shouldn't have. But does Samson even think his powers in his hair? Does Samson even think it's possible that the Philistines could trap him? Oh, this story is not simply about moral lessons, though there are some there. This story shouts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the living God is among us. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised his presence with us. He has sent his spirit to indwell us. The story of Samson is a story about the living God who is gracious, good, and true, delivering his people through the death of his servant, Samson. And it points us to the story of the living God who is gracious and good and true, who will deliver his people through the sacrifice of a perfect servant, a spotless lamb, a man who is without fault or blemish, completely unlike Samson. We read this story and we say, the God of Israel is nothing like Dagon. The God of Israel, the living God, is not bound by Samson's Nazarite vow. He's not bound by Samson's hair. He is able from these stones to raise up people for himself. Do you know this great? and mighty God. The scriptures teach that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That God has made himself known to us through Jesus the Christ. And we can know it. You can know it. By faith. We respond to the good news of Jesus by believing that he is who he says he is and turning from our sin and trusting in him knowing he is Lord of all. I pray this morning that you would believe on Jesus, the Son of the living God. Let's pray.
Father, you're not like the gods of the nations. You're not fickle. You can't be manipulated. You're not bound to do for us what we think you should do for us. Lord God, I'm gonna be a good person and I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z, so you better give me a healthy family. You better give me a raise at work. You better give me a more comfortable life because look at me, I, I go to church, God. Oh Lord, we can be so much like Samson. Like Samson, we can presume on your presence. Like Samson, we can forget that you are the source of our power and that you do whatever you will. Lord, I pray that we would see in this story the good news of Jesus the Christ who would die with his arms outstretched, whose death would bring about final and ultimate deliverance, but whose death would be a new beginning. The rebirth of a world where sin will be destroyed and where the great dragon will be slayed. So give us faith, Lord, to trust you. And give us faith, Lord, to believe you. And remind us, God, that you always have your way. Amen.